in 20, 30 years, what do I want my, not just career, what do I want my life to look like? Welcome to Startup Jobs, a podcast where we explore all the different jobs in a tech startup. What exactly are they and what have we learned from scaling teams from the inside? While most startup content focuses on the founder or investor or specific area like marketing, this show is about accelerating your personal and career growth journey in whatever startup job is best for you. Yeah, exactly, Kai. Like this show is about you. We want you to be the very best that you can be. Feeling more and more professional each time. Every time. Woo! Hey, everyone. We're in business. This week on Startup Jobs, we are chatting career strategy and uh, I'm super excited to be kicking that off with Alex Brogan, who is in the Zipline team and has had some really deep thoughts on career strategy for reasons you'll find out. We're also going to be talking with Jack McKenna, who is really best placed in the organization to chat about this sort of stuff, uh, having had hundreds of conversations with folks in his role as recruitment lead. Um, all about career strategy. And finally, we're going to be chatting with Maddie Stillman, uh, who you've met in a previous episode. She's our people operations manager um, and through onboarding and uh, career conversations on her own podcast with graduates about career strategy. Uh, Everyone's going to have some interesting perspectives. Um, Of course, I'm also going to be asking Mike a few questions as per usual on his uh, broader take on career strategy and also what it means in the startup environment. Uh, this is going to be a good one. Mm. Alex, do you want to give us a quick intro of yourself just so we sort of chief, set the scene? Chief career strategy officer. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I, I, think, I think in terms of the amount of hours that you've thought about this topic, uh, you probably do get to deserve that title. Yeah. Who are you, Alex? Why are you here? <laughs> too many. That's uh, all too flattering, guys. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, I'm a... Perennial uh, career jumper, um, and so I have the sort of gold standard of uh, how to do a how to do a career right. Um, no, anything anything but my <laughs> the, uh, my career has been a bit all over the place. But the good thing is, I feel as though I'm in the right spot now, mm. and that is where you want to get. It's to. probably the right so, thing to say when your boss yeah. is on the line as well. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, Alex, what's your uh, what's your gig at Zipline? So I am, uh, well, have been a um, business development representative, which has been an enorm- enormous learning curve, one that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed. And I'm just about to move into an account executive role uh, over in the US, which I'm pumped for. Super exciting. And uh, evenings and weekends, uh, where might people also know you from? <laughs> Spend a bit of time in the uh, Twitterverse, <laughs> having a lot of fun, a lot of fun there as well. At underscore Alex Brogan, <laughs> we'll link that up. Um, awesome. Well, it's great to be here with you today, Alex. Um, and uh, I-, I wanted to, to sort of um, kick off really curious about, first of all, what your take is, Alex, on the sort of topic of career strategy. Like if mm. you if you had, you know, uh, a bunch of young career professionals on the other line, which is hopefully what we sort of do have here with uh, startup jobs, um, what would you be saying to them in terms of career strategy? What are your first thoughts? It's a big topic. Um, and, and for, I guess, a brief context, I started my career uh, in the investment banking division at Goldman Sachs. Um, so what many would term probably a very traditional type type route. And I did that for about two years and then jumped out uh, into a growth marketing role and also spent some time in Web3 before coming across uh, the gem that is Zipline. <laughs> um, but no, I, I think that leaving Goldman was probably the first non or major non-memetic choice that I had made in my life. And that's a fancy word whilst you, uh, in... for, for the non-fancy uh, linguists. <laughs> it's, it's an important one, actually. Sure. Like, do you mind just unpacking that one? Definitely. So um, memetic nature is really the tendency of humans to inherit our own desires 
from the desires of other people. Mm. And it was a theory popularized by Rene Girard, um, who was an American, uh, American French or French American rather, um, a professor at, at Harvard, I believe. And later popularized mainly by Peter Thiel, uh, who mm. many would know as uh, one of the co-founders of PayPal, um, Palantir as well, and an early investor in Facebook too. But the idea is that, you know, during school and university, it's very, very easy to um, look at what everyone else is doing around you and think that that is what you want as well. And in hindsight, it, it's very, very easy for me to see that in my own thinking at a, at a younger age. And it, it, it very much informed my decision to, to go into investment banking um, initially. But it was a savior for me in a sense to be sort of exposed to some other ideas that um, made me think about, you know, my career in, in more of a long-term perspective. Yeah. Uh, and then to be able to, to implement some of those things um, to get to where, you know, I, I am today in a, in a startup role. And um, there's a few sort of major principles or, or mental models that I, I like to think about and, and did sort of start to, to turn. Just before we, before we jump into those, because, yeah, I'm, I'm super keen to um, get those from you, Alex. Uh, I suppose it, it makes sense, right? Like I, I, I grew up in a certain family environment, in a certain culture, with certain friends, and I kind of just go, oh, finance is a thing, or actually I'm interested in business, or I'm interested in whatever it may be, and so I pick that path either by uni or like jobs after work. And before you know it, the ball's already rolling and it's kind of going downhill in a certain direction and maybe hasn't been like overly thoughtful um, in terms of, yeah, breaking that, what was the word? Mimetic? Mimetic? Mimetic. It's almost like Mimetic the, 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 the momentum is already going in that direction. So mm. you obviously made a purposeful choice to sub out of... And that would have been really super tough, by the way, like, you know, in your early 20s, like to go, okay, I've got a career, it's pretty fucking hard to get into investment banking as well, to sort of sub out of that and go, actually, what is it that I really want, you know, sort of zoom out. Um, maybe just, if you wouldn't mind, before jumping into some of the models and maybe it links quite well, like how did you even get to that aha moment of actually, do you know what, I might just sort of break with the snowball convention just rolling down the hill here to kind of go, actually, is this what I really want? Like I'm going to make some purposeful decisions on my own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it actually sort of leads into to two of the key models that I like to, to think about and, you know, what got me in a position to be comfortable with leaving were these two things. Um, and the first one is thinking about local versus global optimum. What does that mean? Well, global and local maxima um, refers to high values in uh, a mathematical function. On a graph, it looks like a wavy curve with peaks and valleys. Um, the highest peak in a section is a local maximum, but the highest peak across the entire graph is the global maximum. Right. And one of the things that global and local maximum teach us is that Sometimes you have to go down a hill in order to climb up a new mm. one. And to move from a local maximum to the higher peak, you have to go through the minimum. And I think there's a very natural human tendency to want to make the next step an upward one. Mm. And people tend to systematically overvalue the near term over long-term rewards. Right. But to do so is to potentially sacrifice the global optimum. And so for me, getting comfortable with that decision was getting comfortable with the fact that the global maximum for me was not in the current field that I was mm. in. And therefore, the long-term optimal decision being leaving Goldman. Um, and that was really hard from a ego and yeah. financial perspective. It was this highly prestigious job, probably a, a job where, you know, you're getting paid at the very high end of, of what grads can get paid and had a lot of people saying, 
you know, what the F are you doing? Um, even asking me if, you know, my mental health was okay um, oh. after, after doing it. And I think the, the only way I could make that more bearable was by reminding myself that it was long-term. I thought you were going to say the only way that I could make it more bearable is telling them all I'm going into Web3 when it was hot. <laughs> <laughs> that made it more, yeah, as well. But so that, that, that would be the first point I'd make. And the second point would be... And out of interest, Alex, re- would you, would you yeah. just before we jump into the second one, like, would you say that it's, it's fairly similar um, to sort of the, some of the second, third order consequence stuff? Like I'm a big Ray Dalio geek uh, in principles and they talk about um, second, third order consequences, like going to the gym initially, like it hurts. You, know, you don't have the high motivation. Like it's actually something that you don't want. The second order consequence, I, you know, a few months later you feel great. And then the third order consequence is, you know, in a year or two's time, you feel a lot more confident, you know, at the beach or whatever it may be. Um, or there may be other relationship third order consequences as well. Like, is it is it in the same sort of stratosphere? 100%. And I think the, the, the sort of term to refer to this is, is temple discounting. We value things mm. in the present more than we do in the future. But often valuing things higher in the long term and not being so focused on on what's just in front of you will lead to the best and highest outcomes for yourself. Yeah, wow. And so That's... getting yourself out of that mindset is is so so important. Yeah, and that in some ways like links into strategy, right? Like um, mm. like that is strategy, which we'll which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, that's so cool. Reminds me of a famous Homer Simpson quote, like when something's not working out and he's like, oh, that's a future Homer problem. <laughs> like, you know, the future the future version of you is so easy to discount, but what you're doing here is doing the exact reverse of uh, that Homer quote. Yeah, exactly. And I think all of this is amplified in a world which is very much instant gratification, mm, you know, yep. notifications and, and results and frictionless um, experiences with digital products and whatever it is, we mm. expect things to happen really quickly. And when that doesn't happen, it's it's very very uncomfortable for us. So yeah, that Makes was sense. a that was a key thing. I think that the other thing related to this is that I had a really strong sort of belief in the fact that finding what you love to do is not just a cliche. Mm. I think it's very poorly. Um, sort of termed as a, as a cliche and spoken about as just something you should do because it leads to, to more fulfillment and that you'll be happier. But I think what people neglect to mention is that it's also the way that on a long-term basis, you can be most successful financially and professionally. And the reason is that when you love to do something, you're naturally motivated to do more of that yeah. thing you're going to put in more hours than the people you're competing against and you'll simply outperform them over a long uh, enough period of time. And yeah. so it's critical for that reason as well. And so those would have been the, the two most helpful things for jumping out of Goulburn. Mm, that's great. Like um, what would your, to sort of wrap up uh, Brogues' take on all things career strategy, like what would you say is the most useful thing to get started so if i've not really thought too much about this and all of a sudden i'm just kind of going with the tide that was already going and i hadn't put too much thought the into default it even yeah like how how's a like so we're obviously being exposed to some of this thinking now but like what have you found helpful um to kind of yeah get get your head in this space for sure so i think that's figuring out what you want on a long-term basis is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And that's called sort of a process of inversion. So you think about in 20, 30 years, what do I want my, not just career, what do I want my life to look like? Mm. And based on that, what are all the possible sort of paths that can lead that way? And how am I going to ensure that I can include the things that I value most in the career that I ultimately pursue? Mm. And it's a, I think the, the phrase that ties into this really well is being solid on your, your vision, but flexible on your details. And it's one that 
Bezos talks about a lot in the context of Amazon and, and their strategy, but I think it's also really important to set those long-term goals such that your efforts are concentrated and you're not wandering from place to place, um, but that you're also setting sort of some preconditions for failure and at the same time being flexible in the details where you can account for the randomness that life can throw yeah. and allowing yourself to take opportunities uh, as and when they come up if they're going to, to be optimal for you. That's great. Mm. Yeah, really, really appreciate your um, thoughts, Alex. Obviously, someone who spends time thinking about this, but has also had some like super unique experiences already in your career. Um, I, I really love the piece there around, you know, when you do things that, that maybe you do love, just the energy store that you have to keep doing those things and be persistent is, uh, is, is far greater than peers that are just playing the game and doing the default um, mode. So that's awesome. Thanks, Alex. Particularly when it links into the bigger picture and you see how it links into the bigger picture, right? So, you know, if I think in one of the conversations, you know, we had Alex was like, okay, well, if in five, 10 years time, I want to run my own company hypothetically, like what are all the skills and competencies that I want to get exposure to now, as opposed to I just sort of run like a straight up linear path, you know, out of management consulting or whatever it may be. So then making sure that you're quite thoughtful about the, okay, I probably need to figure out customer acquisition, right? At its very grassroots level how do i start at the foundational levels of customer acquisition and then how do i think about you know then you may spend a time you know in product world or like these other areas but you're sort of collecting the core elements that are required in five ten years time if you were to you know go off and do um do do your own thing then you're sort of thinking about your career not just in that that linear like oh i've just somehow gotten on this path but you're actually thinking in 10 plus years time like i'd like to have that kind of um freedom or at least have the opportunity to be able to eyeball that um as as a, as an option um so therefore being quite thoughtful about the yeah the skills that you're acquiring early on mm. excellent yeah completely agree i think with with so many decisions thinking about it on a long term and sort of second and third order consequence basis which is so so important and um yeah prioritizing learning over role salary is, is mm. really important in the, in the beginning of the career. Very good, Alex. Thanks for taking time out of your holiday break to uh, to jam with us on this topic. Um, it was really, really great. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you, mate. Anytime. Love your work. See you guys. We'll speak soon. But the show's not over, Kai. No, it's not, Mike. We've, uh... We want to hear from more folks. Uh, so what we thought we'd do is get some internal conversations around people who think about this stuff Um folks internally that are speaking to people through a recruitment process. Um, yep. And this is, you know, it's a topic that Alex has thought a lot about. Um, so, yeah, like keen to hear what others have said on the topic and then yeah. we can go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, first uh, I asked Jack McKenna, who's our uh, head of talent, mm. um, currently busy in the US, um, and I got his thoughts and he talks about the importance of optimizing for a great manager. Mm. So, have a listen. I think the single best piece of advice for career strategy is to optimize for the best manager. There are so many reasons why this will boost your trajectory and get you where you need to go. I love the saying that in the early years of your career, you get paid for what you do, but in the later years, you actually get paid for what you know. Ultimately, the skills and knowledge that you build now will determine your future value, and so much of that is tied to your manager. Look for a great coach and a high performer. Focus on being reliable and overachieving wherever possible. Take on additional work in areas of interest only if you think you can manage it. And prove a competency in more areas than one so that you're the go-to when things come up. This is where you'll really learn the most, when there's fires to fight and you're trusted to take them on. Great managers take bets. And every time they take a bet on you and it pays off, you're gaining valuable experience, you're viewed as a high performer in the business, and you're empowered to keep taking on new challenges. Your manager will also inevitably move on from the company you're at, and if they're a high achiever, it'll be to a bigger role in a better company. That opens up a door for you. And if you do this in a number of roles, all of a sudden there are multiple doors open, creating lots of opportunity. And finally, your previous manager is also your biggest asset in future job hunts, as they'll be your reference, can provide referrals and introductions for you. Well, that was uh, Jack's thoughts. Shit! Pretty, pretty great. Pretty strong. Oh, that was pretty good. So for those uh, who don't know, Jack, 
heads up our recruitment. We sent him to the US to help build out uh, some of the US team there. But what a great – and, I mean, he, he speaks to hundreds of people regularly yeah. um, through the job interview process to, so, to, to hear his summary of how he thinks about things. That was, uh, that was great. Yeah, I think, I think what he really sort of um, sort of nailed uh, was the whole piece around that manager taking mm. bets and yes. to be able to sort of put yourself in a position where they want to take those bets. Yes. Where you're top of mind where they sort of know that – as he says, when you know fires need to be fought, like yeah. you can jump in. Yeah, um, so that's awesome. Thanks, Jack. Um, we also heard from Maddie, uh, who was with us in a, a previous episode. Yeah. Um, she is our people operations manager, um, and she had a different take, talking about um, what she'd optimize for if you're looking for more of a generalist sort of mm. um, path. Um, really honing in on roles that are not siloed. So we're going to hear from Matt, Maddie. My career strategy advice for people wanting to go down a generalist pathway is to optimise for non-siloed roles where you know you're going to get exposure to a lot of the business. If you want to end up in kind of a project manager, chief of staff, kind of enabling role where you bring teams together, you need to understand how others think. So the more that you can get access to a whole range of skills across the organisation, the better. For me, that looks like wanting to move laterally into a number of different roles at the level I'm operating at now before I move up into a senior position. So currently I'm internal facing, I'm gaining those skills. I need to move into a customer facing role to understand the external facing, get into the technical side, product engineering, so that I can actually marry all of those up. Do not go for a role where you are stuck doing the same thing each day. Um, Optimise to be able to kind of spread your fingers across the organisation and understand how different pieces intersect with one another to gain that real generalist mindset. So that's Maddie's Ooh, thoughts. Good tips as well. Yeah. So um, what do we think about those? Obviously, you know, we're mm. hearing from different perspectives today and I'm, mm. I'm sure we're going to hear from yourself as well about mm. your take. But um, like first, before we jump into those, like I think yeah. everyone's got a different perspective on yeah. it. Everyone's had a different career. Yes. Um, and I think that's almost a meta message in itself right like it is i don't know your thoughts on well i suppose it's like if you went and spoke to five ten business owners and said like what does it take to run a successful business like what's at the heart of it um you know there would be some similar themes but everyone would have a slightly different take on it right yeah. um mm. someone will speak a lot about you know building a team some others will be you know talking about marketing and so they'll optimize for things where maybe they've had success or where they've um you know got, got a perspective on um but they're, they're all they're all right right like these are all really um insightful perspectives. Um, but I think there's some, uh, you know, th- th- this is a topic that's been talked about a lot <laughs> and, and studied as well. Like there's some, mm. some really interesting research out there um, on on career strategy. So, yeah, happy to happy to unpack this a bit. I've got a, got a few thoughts as well. Yeah, I think um, one thing I'd love to know, Mike, uh, is like from your perspective, mm. you know, maybe one, maybe two sort of um, – core things that an early career professional should mm. optimize for, mm. right? Like sort of what, what's that, that North star or point of optimization from your perspective? Mm. Like Brogues is right. Like the, the, the starting point is sort of working five, 10, 20 years in the future and kind of working backwards from that. Yeah. Um, like I'd say if you're early and you don't even like have a good handle of that, um, but you're just like, hey, I just want to optimize for learning and growing then you almost can't go wrong coming into a junior role like at a, at a fast-growing startup. I think it was Paul Graham who's like, you know, the OG of startup investing. And he said, look, what, you know, in the 80s and 90s, we would give people advice of go to an um, investment bank or go to private equity or, you know, take one of these management consulting jobs um, out of uni. But the advice now uh, that he would give is go get a – entry-level sales role in a fast-growing company that's between 20 to 100 people <laughs> because what you'll learn there is everything you need to know about business <laughs> yeah. and you'll get exposure across um, the company. And so, but you know, not everyone's, not everyone wants to get into sales as an example. So that's not the right advice for everyone. Yeah. So I think um, there's a couple of, there's a couple of thoughts that I have like, so without, because obviously each person's different and it's, you know, for, for their setup. I think like if we zoom out, it's worth thinking about, we're talking about career strategy. So like a good place to start is like, well, what even is strategy? Yeah. And if we think about it from a company perspective and from business perspective, you know, strategy, we sometimes say, oh, like this is our strategic plan or we need to do strategic planning. But like strategy is not 
um, long-term or short-term goals. Uh, the strategy is how to get to those goals, but the strategy is not the goals. Strategy is not just an important plan. Um, sometimes we use the word strategy because it's an important plan. And strategy is not execution excellence. Like like strategy, you need to execute well, um, but that's not strategy. So yeah, short. So in short, strategy is not goals. It's not an important plan. It's not um, excellence. In business, we think about strategy as a deliberate set of choices about being different and being unique. Um, so how you basically win and create value in the market. And so a good way to think about strategy is like strategy is choices. And you know that you mm. have a good strategy when um, you're saying no a lot. You know that you have a good strategy when it hurts because you're having to yeah, both say no and let other opportunities um, go. Let, let, go um, yeah, you're having to let other opportunities go by. And so if I relate that to career strategy, like I think – for me, if you think of the goal and then you think about the strategy as the choices to get there, like for me, the sort of higher level goal, and this is pretty fuzzy, but it would be like, hey, I want to be able to wake up every single morning and be pretty fucking excited about what it is that I do. Um, and first of all, that's unlike 80% of the population. There's all these studies that say 80% of people aren't engaged in their work, right? Yeah. So my goal would be to be deeply engaged in my in my work um, and look, it may not be easy and it may not be enjoyable at times because part of that pain, you know, is, 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 is the growth that comes. so much more important, right? Exactly. But like if I'm learning, if I'm growing, if I'm having impact, if I'm doing that with people that I am really enjoy working with, well, then I'm like, hey, I'm, 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 I'm loving this. And if I'm earning a fair wage and I'm able to grow some equity in that mix, then, hey, I'm in a great, I'm in a great spot. Um, and so if that's kind of the end goal, well, then you sort of go, okay, well, what what strategy then, what what are these choices that I want to make? And then I think within the strategy bucket, there's two types. There's a deliberate strategy, which is like, I want to be a editor of a newspaper in 10 years time, um, you know, or I want to hit X goal. Um, that's very specific. And you may have a deliberate strategy and you may start out that way and that's fine. Um, but I think being open to something that uh, Clay Christensen, who uh, the founder of Jobs to Be Done and and uh, Innovations to Limit, he talks about like a deliberate strategy and an emergent strategy. An emergent strategy is something that comes about as you're going on that journey. So you may start out to go, okay, I want to be a editor of a newspaper, but you want to keep your mind open to different opportunities that pop up. So interesting, yeah. his story is that he wanted, his goal was to be, um, and his strategy, career strategy was to be the um, editor of uh, Wall Street Journal. And then he finishes um, his finance degree and then um, gets into management consulting and thinks actually that's probably a good thing to do, get exposure to some business problems for a while. And then I can go over to the Wall Street Journal and write about business and then, you know, I could become an editor. And then his mate taps him on the shoulder about a business idea. And then he has that, gives that a go for a while and they IPO that. And then Harvard Business um, uh, College like says, hey, I think you'd make a great professor and like lead this. And then all of a sudden he's taken a, an, an emergent strategy, but it's fine that he set out initially for a certain goal, mm. but was open to uh, the journey on the way. Yeah, And so I think we then talk about, okay, if strategy is making deliberate choices, well, what are the choices that you want to make it up against? And so like for me, I wrote down six points um, of which a lot were uh, mentioned here already. So like I can kind of quickly run through these. I think that the first one would be like, what is it that I want? Um, which is actually the hardest question yeah. uh, to answer. Like, what do I want? Um, and that question should be five, 10 years out. So sort of ideal um, sort of life, five, 10 years out, what do I want? And then the second question is what um, Alex talked about, which is, I call it the, like, what gets you going? Uh, and I have what I call the flow test. So in which types of worker activities are you in a state of flow where you lose track yep. of time and you're just like really in the fucking zone and you're really enjoying it. Yeah. That's probably in the zone of something that you're really um, engaged in and what it is that you're passionate about. And ideally that links to some sort of, you know, purpose, um, you know, you, and you may have some certain parameters around that, like EG that's not around like working for a cigarette company or there may be things yeah. you know, in terms of like impacts. So I think your first, like, what is it I want Two, what gets you going? On uh, two, yeah, that reminds me of um, that Naval quote: like, find what feels like play to you, mm. but maybe looks like work to others, mm. right? Like uh, that just came to mind. I just think you you summarize that well. I think it's uh, it's sort of that play, that flow, that 
you know, dancing around and sort of the spark in the eye. Exactly, know? exactly. If you're doing what you're passionate about, then it's that corny saying, right? Like if you find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And it's yeah. the same It's the same sort of thing. So if you're regularly in flow, um, then that's a great place to be. And so, yeah, one, awesome. what is it that you want? Uh, bigger picture. Two, what gets you in flow? Um, three is play to your strengths. And you really then need to know yourself and you need to know your strengths. Yeah. So a lot of people early on are optimizing for getting rid of their weaknesses. I think what you need to be thinking about is, and something that I think a lot about is, you want to minimize those weaknesses, but actually you want to be doubling down on your strengths. So right. a weakness of mine is attention to detail. So I would make a shit bookkeeper. Like, you know, I should never be doing anything that is highly attention to detail. Um, but then I know that that's, uh, you know, my kryptonite. So I yeah. got to create backstops through processes, through people, you know, through roles that I decide where that doesn't, and I, I need to have a certain level where it doesn't impact, um, you know, uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't impact me in, in a bad way. But I really want to be focusing on doubling down on my strengths, which then takes you to, okay, well, what are your strengths? And it's definitely worth investing in, um, you know, there's some good science-based um, or more science-based personality tests like Ray Dalio has one called Principles U. Yeah. Um, but like understanding that is important. So yeah, one, what is it that I want? Work backwards from that. Two, um, what gets you going? Understand that flow test. Three, uh, playing to your strengths and really doubling down on, on those strengths. Yeah. Um, four is actually what Jack talked about, which is um, enjoying the people that you work with um, is actually really important. And in particular, that manager relationship early on. Um, but if I think about some of the jobs that I've loved the most in my past, it's like, I've actually just really loved working with the people. Like it's, yes. it's been fun. It's been engaging. Yes, they brought the best out of me, but I've actually just really enjoyed that work environment. So yeah. I, I wouldn't underplay that. Um, five is like, are you learning and being challenged? Um, like super, super important. And and, you know, if you've got like highly repetitive work that you can quickly figure out, I mean, it's just no fun playing a computer game where you've mastered a level and then that computer game never, ever goes up a level. Yeah. Like you you want to be um, leveling up. So you want that learning and that challenging. Um, six, uh, are you growing in skills and competencies that set you up for the future? Ideally, that potentially links to um like those goals, but at least gives you a smorgasbord of skills that would be useful. So I'll give an example. Um, you know, when I was studying and, you know, a teenager, like I was at McDonald's and then uh, like when I was 18, I became a McDonald's manager. And um, there were some really useful skills, like in terms of being customer um service orientated, like how to manage people at a young age. There's still some principles that I have from my McDonald's training that I still have with me now. Um, and so you want to be thinking about, am I taking on and am I accumulating skills and competencies um, that are useful uh, over the long term and gives me a bunch of optionality of where that goes. And then I think seven and the final one is like, am I increasing my scope um, of opportunity or am I narrowing my scope of opportunity? So as an example, if you're not really enjoying what you're doing and you've realized you picked an accounting um a career path because that's just what's happened and you're three, four, five years in, you're not in a state of flow. The people are fine. The pay is fine. But the longer that you stay there, the longer you're going to stay on that narrow path. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to so many people that all of a sudden realize actually, oh, this is not what I'm deeply passionate about. And it's it's hard to then break that when you're already on that kind of narrow band. Yeah. I think doubling down on the narrow band when you know this is for you, then you want to be going for mastery. Like mm. that's great. Like if you know if you're a software engineer and you're just loving um, all things software engineering, well that's fine. Going like doubling down on that niche and getting mastery is fine. Yeah. But when you're early on, you don't want to go too far down like some of these rabbit holes. And I think that's what Maddie was speaking about as well, having yes. like some of that exposure and what have you, which I think is particularly a good move um, when early on, if you're not quite too sure what it is that you want to like really niche down on, um, then having that exposure and then really focusing on the growing and the um, the learning and having the exposure to be able to go um, sideways then becomes really important. Yeah. Excellent. Very, very punchy seven thoughts. Mm. Awesome that there's some of that overlap from from some of the things we already chatted about as mm. well. Um, I've got a, got a question for you, which is sort of a little bit left to field from the conversation, mm. but I think it's an interesting one. Something that like I've considered so far in my journey. Yes. Um, like I'm in Perth, yes. right? Now, Perth is great. It's no startup hub. Sure. Um, it's no San Francisco. No. Um, early on, like do you think it's worth – moving to some of these startup hubs. Mm. Maybe it's Sydney, maybe it's Seattle, maybe it's San Fran. Like, do you think as part of all of this, that 
is an important or valuable part of the process. Mm. I think early in your career, particularly your 20s, you want to optimize for the social interaction of your colleagues. Um, yeah. You know, some of my best mates now, uh, I mean, so I spent uh, like my early 20s to my early mid thirties in Sydney and, um, you know, all my best mates are from that period, you know, of, of work colleagues, et cetera. And, you know, I speak to other people who, you know, maybe started their journey in EY or like other places. And again, they had that same sort of close bond with their peers. Um, so you're going to have a higher likelihood of being able to work at great companies, you know, in larger hubs for sure. I mean, the world's quite different now in terms of orientation around like more work from home, et cetera. But I think even still um, it is worth considering, okay, in my twenties, like where do I optimize for, you know, lots of regular time. And even if it's not in the office every single day, like if there's like regular stints where you're together um, and that kind of links to the the people, you know, links to the manager that you have. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think it's it's worthwhile. I don't think you need to go to San Fran, but I definitely <laughs> think it's pretty tough if you're in a really remote um, regional town yeah. and you're wanting to have a startup um, career. It probably makes sense in your early mid twenties to you know get into at least a major city and a great company. Yeah. Um, you know that sort of thirty to. 200, 300, like that's sort of the, the Goldie, I would even say the Goldilocks zone is probably in the 30 to sort of 100 size organization because mm. they're sort of path, past the Death Valley, like a five, 10 person startup, uh, depending where they where, where they are in their journey topic for another day. But, um, you know, that, that can be like particularly stressful if um, there's no stability there at all. So, but at 30 to 100, you know, growing well, there's a good culture. Um, I think that's a, that's a, that's a really, really great place to be in early on. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I've got, got another question around, um, you know, let's say you've jumped into a great role and you're, you know, you maybe some of these things are, are being ticked, you know, you're, you're considering your strengths and maybe playing to them. You've got some great people around you. Um, the whole frame, like the grass is, you know, mm. is green on the other side, mm. um, is an interesting one. And mm. I think in terms of career strategy, there's also this like, well, the grass is greener where you water it. Right. So, mm. How do you think about those two things and sort of maybe looking at as part of career strategy where those career jumps happen, mm. how people should approach that from your perspective? Have you heard of the Herz- Herzberg test? No. Tell me about it, Mike. Um, so there was a guy, I forget his first name, and I hope I'm pronouncing his surname correctly. I wrote a famous HBR article about like what drives motivation. Mm. Um, and from a career perspective, there's kind of two factors. One is like hygiene factors. And the second one is motivational factors. And so what's interesting is like part of the research that was quite controversial that came out was basically like, if we pay people more, or if we give people more bonuses, will they be happier in their job? And will they be less likely to leave? Um, And the hygiene factors were, you basically, if you fuck up on the hygiene factors, it leads to job dissatisfaction. Right. But if you double down and go hard and you throw even more at the hygiene factors, it doesn't necessarily increase into a job that you love, it. but it just prevents it from a job that you hate. Yeah. And so these hygiene factors were like title, um, pay, job security, working conditions, um, like my boss, like policies, etc. But interestingly, pay was in that mix. So you get to a certain stage and these are just hygiene factors. Um, so even if, even, even if, even if you get paid more and more and more and have a better, better, better title, it's actually never going to increase to a job that you love or high job satisfaction, but it can prevent it not being a job that you hate. So then you go, okay, well, fuck. Like a lot of people just thought, well, if I get better titles and I'm getting paid more, like, of course, I'm going to like love that. And of course, that's going to have me engaged. And of course, that's like what I want, right? Yeah. Um, But then, you know, the amount of conversations I have with people that are 5, 10, 15 years in and they've gone on that journey and they're actually like, Man, I'm like I'm I'm deeply dis- dissatisfied. Like mm. I, I think I need to do something else. That just proves that you can't get to job happiness with just those hygiene factors, of which pay is one. Super interesting, right? So then you go, okay, well, what is it that is motivation factors in a job? Um, and then I think this answers your question: if these motivation factors aren't humming, and you can't get that from the environment that you're in, then that's the time to think about a change. Yeah. So some of these. Um, some of these uh, motivation factors are things like challenging work, like recognition. Um, am I being given more and more responsibility? 
and am I getting personal growth? So like challenging work, recognition, more responsibility, like personal growth, if these things are humming, now providing that the um, hygiene factors aren't fucked up, right? Because if the hygiene factors are fucked up, like you're paying me a poor salary and I got a shitty ass boss, then- And the chair in the office are broken. (laughs) Right, like um, then then, then we, we can't get into- job that we love because then those hygiene factors need to be in play. But like yeah. if the hygiene factors are in a good spot, then we're really thinking about those motivational um, factors. And they're the things that drive the intrinsic um, levels of motivation, right? And so what we've basically found from research is that what motivates people and like what gets us going are these intrinsic elements, not with the sit with inside you, it actually doesn't sit in the external world of getting paid better or what have you. Now they may give you a temporarily boost, but they they all sit within those hygiene elements. So like I would basically say if those deeply challenging work, recognition, um, greater opportunity of responsibility and personal growth. Like if those things aren't humming and if you can't get confident that those things are humming relative to those broader goals that we talked about, then it's time to be on the lookout for other opportunities. Interesting. Yeah, that's um, that's a super helpful frame to think about. Um, awesome. To to sort of close out, um, I, like I, I did a bit of digging in this space myself and I came across a really, really interesting perspective which I wanted to, to mm. get your thoughts on. Mm. Um, so I was listening to an interview with a guy called Jason Shah um, oh, yes. who's like Airbnb and Amazon and um, now working at a Web3 company called Alchemy. Um, and he talks about approaching your career as a map mm. rather than a ladder. Mm. Um, and I think that was really interesting. And I was like a whole separate sort of um, part of my research was actually looking at the early Macintosh team right. at Apple right. and Steve Jobs um, in, in an interview with him, he was like, part of what made the Macintosh great was that the people working on it were musicians, poets, artists, mm. zoologists, and historians who also happened to be the best computer scientists <laughs> in the world at that right. time of their career. Right. Um, so on the sort of con- concept of not just sort of working up the ladder, you know, even doing little dips and troughs, but, you know, working up that ladder in one area versus maybe jumping into different industries or doing like doing different jobs altogether mm. um, over, over a sort of career of maybe, you know, 40, 50, 60 years of your life. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it actually links back to that um, extrinsic motivational factors, right? Like if, if, um, if, if they're not humming, then it's time to like look for something else. Like I, I had a stint uh, in the early BlackBerry days and I ended up being there for quite a while, um, like six, seven-ish years or whatever it ended up being. Um, and like I was engaged on all these items, like super challenging work, was getting recognition, like great responsibility, personally growing. You know, it was an exciting time of the early smartphone era. This is before iPhones and Androids came out. And um had high senses of, of empowerment and, you know, on the outside, it was probably looked like a bit of a linear path, um, but I had all those elements being ticked off. And so therefore it wasn't like, I was like, oh, okay, my, my time's done here. Like now yeah. to get like the next thing, it was those elements were well, actually in, in fairness, their hygiene factors started uh, falling away, like with the launch of the iPhone, but that, you know, <laughs> that, that was, a, that was a, you know, another topic, but um, yeah, I mean, I think if those, if those uh, hygiene factors and those motivation factors are in a good spot, and you're accumulating all those skills and it's linking to the bigger picture, then, you know, there's no reason to like necessarily go some, somewhere else if you're accumulating those uh, pieces, right? And that's yeah. why you'll see uh, people have like great careers. I've got a friend of mine who joined Apple. Uh, she was in her uh, mid-20s. She's probably approaching her 40s now and, um, you know, has an, an extremely senior role there. And uh, like has, it has, it's been a deeply engaging ride. And so that's fine. There's nothing that says, you know, that was a bunch, you know, she, she's locked herself in because she's only been with one company. Yes. I think as long as we're ticking off these, these elements, then we're in a good spot. Um, but I think it's rare and it's hard. So that's why it's more common to go looking, <laughs> to go looking for it. Um, and you may be two years in somewhere and you may have had some of those elements, a bit of challenging work, bit of learning, and then you're either hitting a ceiling or some of those foundational hygiene factors are not there in play. Yeah. Well, then I would just say that's when to 
like keep looking. That's when to yeah bring out the map and there's a there's a range of like great um, opportunities out there. Yeah, and it's it's also interesting. Like you know, Maddie did touch on it. We have as well that maybe the map is built in the company, right? Like your friend at Apple, right? Probably hasn't been in the same role the whole time there. And yes, she may have not even just climbed this linear ladder. Like one of my favorite examples, a guy called Zach Kitch, who's right. the um, CMO at Canva. Right, like he joined like, you know, 10 years ago doing like comms and he's been the head of people, the head of product. Yes. Like fascinating sort of map being drawn out there in one company. Yes. Um, and I think it's it's kind of cool just if you sort of come back to those sort of questions of extrinsic sort of motivation and yes. hygiene, like ultimately that's what you guide it off, right? Yes. And if you're in flow, like regularly, right? And so, um, you know, we've got one person in the team now uh, who we're talking to and they thought the type of role that they were doing is what they wanted to do. And they gave it a go for a while, but they're actually just kind of going, like, I, I, I can't, I can't get passionate about doing this thing for the next two, three years. Mm. Like, love the company, love the opportunity, love, love the, the team, yeah, yeah, like all this type of stuff. However, I need to have a crack at A or B. You know, can we try to make that happen? Um, and so I think these these journeys are unique for each person. Um, yeah. In terms of what it is that. Uh, you know, you're motivated by. Um, and that kind of links back to the, the flow piece. I think the flow is like really, really interesting. Um, mm. So, you know, if you get a kick out of talking to customers, <laughs> there's one person I was talking to and they're just like, man, I haven't been customer facing for a while, but I remember every time that I was engaging with customers, like I just really, really enjoy that. Like I get a kick out of that. Yeah. Um, so then, okay, well, like how can we look at building that in, right? Um, and so I think having the opportunity to be aware of what it is that gives you the flow and then to be able to go like hunting for it, you know, either within the current company that you're at. Um, yeah. Or, or, and, and by the way, there's no reason why you can't take on side hobbies um, yeah. to be able to chip away at some of these things while you have your day job as well. Right. Yep. Um, there's, People like there's, Alex. Is, yes. Yeah. There's, 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 exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. I think, um, you know, just my, my final thoughts on this, just, you know, brief reflection on my journey is, curiosity mm. is, is a massive tool early on when you're mm. sort of, cause I, you know, I was like probably two years ago going, you know, I know that I probably need to work out what I get into flow state about. I know that I kind of need to work out all this stuff, right? but I, you know, didn't have the sort of runs on the board maybe to even have that self-awareness. Mm. And I think just by following curiosities, um, you sort of start to unlock some of those things. Yes. It's like, you know, I joined Zipline sort of working with you, doing yes. sort of BM business manager stuff. And then, yes. you know, last couple of months jumped into a product ops role, like yes. as an example of yes. following curiosities within a company as yes. well. Yes. When you love the, the culture and the team. So, um, yeah, th those, those are my thoughts basically around following curiosities. And the other thing that I'll finish on is um, like, it's okay. I mean, I remember even when I was in high school, right? And you had those career counselor conversations. Like, well, what do you want to be? And like, what have you? like, sometimes these are so daunting and they're even daunting in your early 20s. Um, and it's okay if you don't know when you haven't like, so I think like early on optimize for the, um, the environment um, and optimize, you know, has the company got the culture that allows for these elements that we talked about, both yeah. hygiene and um, that can drive some of these intrinsic um, motivators. And then I would just, well, let's do a separate episode on it, but really just be known, like Jack touched on, like just be known for those core execution fundamentals, like be known as the person who actually does what they say they would do. Yeah. Like follow through on the basics, like build really just good, basic work habits and get a bit of exposure to different things. And then it's kind of okay if you're in a role for a year or two and actually going, this is not quite my jam. And it's even okay if you're like, fuck, I did a whole uni degree on this thing and I'm a year or two in and I, I'm actually not like vibing on this. Like that's okay. Um, so I think dialing down the pressure of like having to nail it out of the gate. I think yeah. that's why that strategy piece of an emergent strategy and like, this is kind of my fixed, you know, view. There's a, there's a famous story of like Honda when they um, entered the U S market, it was quite interesting in the late seventies and, you know, like Harley Davidson and all the American motorbikes are what the market, that, that was the motorcycle market in the U S and so Honda comes in, you know, from Japan and they basically build versions that look like a Harley, uh, these big, big fat road bikes and they make them about 20% cheaper, 15% cheaper. And they're not selling at all. Um, and 
they don't have big budgets to like try to outspend. So they have a very, very small team. And then what's interesting is in Japan at the time, um, couriers were going around on these really lean little small motorbikes in like busy urban environments. And I don't know why, but they sent some of them to the US. And so a couple of the guys in the American Honda office um, were basically on the weekend, like let's just have some fun. Rather than taking out the big fat American road bike, they take out these little courier bikes and they'd go up into the... um, the, the the Hollywood Hills and stuff. And it was basically the founding of the dirt bike. Wow. And so what's interesting is they were like fanging around, uh, that's a very Aussie term, yeah. uh, like, you know, doing their thing on these dirt bikes. And it created a whole subculture of people like, these are pretty fucking cool motorbikes. I can't get them. Can we get more of these things? And so then what ended up happening was Honda started like making this thing and wow. it turned into the dirt bike industry. Now, when they went into the US, they didn't go our whole strategy is to build a new category and we can't compete with Harley Davidson on these expensive, you know, big fat, um, you know, road, road bikes. They didn't go, Oh, let's create this category of dirt bike. That became an emergent strategy just by being there. And by, you know, that turned out to be a bit of luck with a bit of like, they were there and they were like, yeah, mucking around. And so I think like career strategies sometimes turn like, turn out like that where you may think, okay, I've got to go in this spot, you know, in this big consulting company, or I've got to go here and do that. And that may be a good place to start. Um, But then before you know it, you may be open to something. As long as you're open to something and you're, you know, uh, got your eyes and ears open and we're thinking about these things, then, you know, there's a dirt bike strategy out there for you. <laughs> That's excellent. And um, it does feel like a lot of these things, we bounced around a lot today, talked to a few people. Um, it feels like a lot of these things, you know, they work well in a startup, right? Like, yes. you know, it's a good place, a good environment to do a lot of these things. Yes. Um, and uh, yeah, whatever you picked out from today, you know, really hoping that uh, mm. it's helped you and how you think about your career strategy. Nice. So with that, uh, that's a wrap. Hopefully, we've given you a really good taste of uh, both why a startup would be a great place for you and how to think about career strategy from a macro perspective and when and how a startup job could fit in really well into a career strategy. Exciting. Till next week. Till then. I think we need to let this uh, outro track go a bit longer, Kai. I agree. Very, very good. Very smooth. A bit more volume as well. If you're enjoying the first few episodes of Startup Jobs, subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast app. It helps us out big time.